Good morning, everyone. If I wanted to know about how DNA carries genetic material or how a solar eclipse works, I could go to scientific academic journals and begin to try and work my way through them to figure out how these natural phenomena work. But I'm not a particularly scientifically minded person, so I go to Wikipedia because I just want the basics. Now, if you wanted to know about the God of the Bible, what he is like, who he is, you could start with something like the Athanasian Creed, which is a 5th century historical document laying out for us who God is. It says this, For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Ghost uncreated. Putting uh, her own spin on the next line of the creed, the writer Dorothy Sayers says, The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, the whole thing incomprehensible. (laughs) Now, I I don't mean to disparage creeds. They're very important. We just finished a class on the Apostles' Creed. The fathers of the church had to take this mass of biblical data, the revelation about God, and put it into writing and articulate clearly who he was. They are very important. But the truth is, the primary thing we really want to know about God is whether or not he is there and if he is trustworthy. Because that is what's going to make a difference in our lives, yes? It's going to have an effect on how we live. Thankfully, the scriptures have so much to offer us have so much to offer us to tell us about who God is. Exodus 3 that we heard from uh, just a few moments ago, uh, Moses has an encounter with God that causes him to inquire on behalf of his people, the Israelites, about God's presence and faithfulness. So here's the story. Uh, Last week we talked about baby Moses who was floating down a river in a basket. Well, this week in this week's passage, Moses has grown up a bit. He's uh, a shepherd. He's tending his father-in-law's sheep in the desert. And he's just strolling along uh, doing his shepherd thing. And he comes to the foot of this mountain and he sees something in the distance that looks a little bit strange. It actually looks like there's a bush in the desert that's on fire. And so he said, this is odd. I've I've got to get a better look at this. And he begins to creep closer. And sure enough... It is a bush that has flames bursting through, but the bush is not being consumed. Very, very strange. And then suddenly, as Moses gets closer, he hears his name called out, Moses, Moses. And now maybe at this point, uh, he was thinking, well, the desert heat today is really getting to my head. I just need to move on. I'm seeing things. But the voice continues. The voice continues and says, come no closer, for the ground upon which you are standing is holy ground. Take off your sandals. And immediately we learn something about the presence that is being manifest in this bush. This presence means something big. This is holiness. This is perfection. This is God's presence. And Moses is standing there and appropriately shielding his face as God says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob. Moses thinks, oh my, Now, God doesn't show up by accident or just to impress people or show who he is. He always has a reason. And so he explains to Moses, he says this in chapter 3. You can follow along in your bulletins if you'd like to. 
It says, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with the milk and honey. And now Moses, when he hears this, he thinks, Great! Yeah, this is going to be awesome. And he starts doing a victory dance. God's come to set my people free. He's come to release the Israelites from under the the oppression of Egypt. And then God says to Moses, so come, I will send you. And Moses' victory dance comes to an abrupt stop and his eyes get big. And he says, wait, what? Me? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Who am I? Is this not our response? Is this not often our response to God when he calls us to a difficult mission? We see only the external things. We think about our inadequacy, our lack of resources, the impossibility of the situation. Our eyes aren't open to the majestic, unimaginable reality of God's present presence. It's like Peter in our gospel reading today. Jesus tells them about his death, that he is to suffer and die. And Peter says, no, 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 Lord, that cannot happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are not looking at things from the divine perspective, but from the human. You see, Peter's eyes were not opened to the divine perspective. Perspective. So here's a question for us. What part of God's mission in the world, what part of cross-bearing mission in the world might God be calling you to that you have been thinking would be impossible? Is it alleviating poverty in your community? Is it starting a prayer ministry in your neighborhood? It could be anything. What is it? It's a challenging question for us to ponder. Now, back to our story. Moses, he just can't believe uh, that God is going to send him to do this. He says, how will this be possible? And the Lord responds like this. I will be with you. I will be with you. You see, the God of the Bible does more than just give orders or mobilize people into mission. He actually goes out before us and invites us into a work in which he is already present. Well, Moses says to God, but, 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 <laughs> it's, it's always our response to you, but, 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 but. He says, well, the Israelites, you see, they're not going to believe this. They're not going to actually believe that this happened, me standing here in front of a burning bush and getting a revelation from God. So when they ask me, um, what is his name, what am I supposed to tell them? Now, this uh, question that Moses anticipates is actually a very, very important part of this text in the Bible. It's a very, very important question. Um, He's using here in the Hebrew an inanimate pronoun, what is his name? And it actually um, means not what should we call him. That's not what the question is. The Israelites already called on Yahweh. They already called on the great I am. The question means something like, what is the meaning of his name? What is I am anyway? Um, basically what the question, the question that Moses anticipates is that the Israelites are going to say, considering all of the suffering that we're undergoing for all this time under the Egyptians, what does I am mean for us? And God uh, replies to Moses like this, I am who I am. 
I am who I am. Hmm, that's an odd name. Imagine writing that on a name tag at a church conference. It's a strange name, isn't it? In fact, it's not really a name at all. One Bible scholar said it like this. He said, when Moses asks God for his name, God gives him not a label, but a theology. You see, God is telling Moses about him, about who he is. God is saying, I am the one who can be relied upon. I am the one who will be present. Another way that one can interpret the Hebrew phrase is, I will be who I will be. Meaning, I will be where I need to be when I am needed. I will be there for my people. He's telling Moses that he can and will be anything that is appropriate and needed for Israel's desperate situation. He's promising him he will be present. And Moses takes a leap of faith. And he goes and he confronts Pharaoh. And with God's help, he leads God's people out from bondage into the promised land. Now, what's important about this little detail? God works out his purposes through this ordinary shepherd, this ordinary guy who takes a leap of faith and trusts that God will be present. Why is this story so important? Why is this story so important? We've all heard it before, right? We've all heard it probably in Sunday school or maybe taught it in Sunday school. We probably used the little felt board with Moses and the little bush and the little flame thing we put on there, right? And we taught the kids or we learned about this story. But why is it so important? Is there something in this story that we've not yet grasped, something the story is showing us about God? You see, the God of the Bible is present This is unique about the God of the Bible. He's present. We don't do things to lure him out of heaven to get him to come down to us. He's not a distant, reluctant recluse who needs to be convinced to come be with us. He's a God who loves to be present to his people. It's who he is by nature. And where do we see God's salvation bringing presence more fully than in the face of Jesus. The theologian Robert Jensen, when asked, who is God, replied like this, God is whoever raised Jesus from the dead after having raised Israel from Egypt. You see the connection? God of the flaming bush is the God dwelling fully in Jesus Christ. John's gospel actually makes this point uh, very clearly. In chapter 8 of John, there's a story. Um, Jesus has been doing some healings, and there are some religious leaders who are not fond of him, and they attribute his miraculous power to the work of the demonic. They say he has, clearly he has demons. And Jesus says something very provocative to them, and he says, uh, your father Abraham, whom you claim to follow, he rejoiced that he would see my day. This is Abraham who lived 2,000 years before Jesus' time. And so they look at Jesus and they say this, You are not yet 50 years old and you claim to have seen Abraham? And Jesus, without hesitation, responds directly to them, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. You see the connection? Jesus is, I am, in the flesh, dwelling among humanity, present, the present God who's loving, who's teaching, who's healing, and then dying for our sin. The ultimate demonstration that I am who I am is a faithful presence that shows up to save his people. 
Friends, our God is present. This is a central truth of our faith that makes all of the difference for how we live. Our willingness to believe it will make or break our participation in his mission in the world. It is not for the faint of heart, but our God promises that he is already out ahead of us. The spiritual writer A.W. Tozer said this, The presence of God is the central fact of Christianity. At the heart of the Christian message is God himself waiting for his redeemed children to push into conscious awareness of his presence. He goes on to say that the type of Christianity that so many people live today knows this presence only in theory. Then he says this, God wills that we should push on into his presence and live our whole life there. This is to be known to us in conscious experience. It is more than a doctrine to be held. It is a life to be enjoyed every moment of every day. Wow. I have to tell you, this challenges me. This challenges me, and it shows me that I too often settle for a God who is not radically present, who is too small, too distant. I settle too often For that, it's probably a struggle for all of us at times, isn't it? So what do we do about this? What do we do about taking hold of this promise uh, from a God who promises to be present, from a God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you to his disciples? The first thing is this. This is the most important. We have to understand that we can't make God more present. We can't do anything to make God more present. Jesus died to usher us sinful humanity into God's presence, to forgive us, to wipe our slate clean, and to take away everything that made us unable to enter into that holy presence that showed up into the bush that day and ushered us in, gave us unbridled access to that presence. So there's nothing we can do to make him come closer to us. The second thing is this. We have to push deeper into the life of prayer. We have to push deeper into the life of prayer. We have to be honest with God in our prayers about our situations. We have to pray the scriptures, ask God to be to us who he promises to be in his word. We have to pour out our hearts to him. Maybe our prayer lives suffer, maybe because we approach prayer as a means of convincing God to show up. I know I slip into this mindset sometimes. I feel like I'm praying to convince God to show up. But actually, prayer is a response of praise and petition to a God who is already present. Lastly, we have to do this. We have to walk through each day as if God is actually present with us. We have to walk as if he is, even if it's hard to believe or be aware of sometimes. When you pray, pray as if Jesus is in the room sitting across from you. He is. When you feel called to a difficult or impossible task to participate in God's mission of the world, approach it as if God himself is walking beside you, out ahead of you even, calling you into it. He is. When you feel crushed by the weight of your own personal struggles and affliction, Pray as if God is right there, listening compassionately. He is. Now, 
in closing, there's no coincidence that uh, the central sacrament that the church has celebrated for over 2,000 years is a sacrament in which God communicates his presence to us. You see, the Eucharist is like a burning bush experience for us. Have you ever thought about this? God's presence is mediated to us in the ordinary elements of bread and wine, and yet they are not destroyed. They are not engulfed in flames. You see, this is the place, this is the center of our worship where we come together as God's people, receive his body and blood together, and then are sent out into the world. Our bishop is fond of saying, all ministry flows from the table. You see, we come here to be not just uh, given solace, but strengthened for the work that God calls us to in the world. And when we come up, God draws us up into his holy presence. We don't make him more present. He draws us up into his presence. He assures us of his trustworthiness. And he says to each of us, so come, I will send you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you that you are present with us here in this room today that you've never left, that you've simply asked that we open our eyes uh, to your presence in our lives. We ask that you would do that now as we enter into the liturgy of the sacrament, that uh, the words that we confess, the prayers that we offer up to you would be offered with a great knowledge of your presence and your desire to have communion with us. We ask that you would open our hearts to the things that you need to speak to each of us in this room today. And that as we are sent back out into the world, it would be with great confidence that what we are called to is something in which you are already present. And all of this because of what your son has done for us. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen.